During the COVID-19 pandemic, U.S. public health authorities lacked reliable, timely, and accurate data on the distribution of the disease and the availability of resources for combating it. Legislation pending before the U.S. Congress could provide an opportunity to address these gaps in preparation for future pandemic threats. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with David Blumenthal, a professor of the practice of public health at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Dr. Blumenthal has co-authored a perspective article about improving data on infectious threats. Dr. Blumenthal, how and at what level of government are public health data generally collected in the United States? Well, Steve, it's not widely understood, but public health data collection and indeed public health protections are the business of state and local government. Literally thousands of separate jurisdictions and entities collect data about the health of Americans and when things work well, transmit it to the best of their ability to authorities above them that may include the state government or the federal government. And then what were the implications of that system for federal public health authorities during the COVID-19 pandemic? How did it affect their ability to make evidence-based decisions? During the pandemic, we expected a lot of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in terms of data availability, and indeed a lot from the federal government as a whole. But the fact is that that data that they needed in order to be able to assist the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the president was owned by state and local government entities, sometimes counties, sometimes cities, sometimes state governments. And they had no legal requirement to share that data with anybody else which meant that sharing was voluntary. When the data was shared, it wasn't always consistent from one jurisdiction to another because the autonomy of state and local entities also gives them the right to decide what to collect and how to define the elements of data that they collect. So definitions of infection and of case rates could differ from one city or state to another. So when it was transmitted, which was entirely voluntary, that data often was not comparable from one place to another. The way that CDC tried to manage this was by working out what are called data use agreements, which are contracts binding how CDC would use that data once a state or locality agreed to share it. And in fact, some states and localities were so protective of their data that Part of the contracts said the CDC couldn't share it with anyone else in the federal government. This gives you some idea of how enormously fragmented, complex, and problematic our national data system is in the face of enormous infectious peril, the kind that occurred during COVID-19. So as you say, these contracts may have helped in some measure, but they don't address all of the fundamental problems related to data collection and sharing in the United States. What types of policies would be necessary to support meaningful progress? Well, first, states and localities would have to be willing or required to define critical elements, things like case rates, the definition of an infection, the definition of a death from that infection, as opposed to other complicating conditions. So basic things like that would have to be defined the same way. Then those definitions would have to be encoded in computer standards 
so that once the computerized data was transmitted, it would be comparable and could be collated. Now, to get that to happen, we could depend on voluntary cooperation, but historically that has not worked. So that kind of standardization is one thing that would need to be mandated by some authority, and really the only authority that can command it would be the federal government. The next thing that would be required once it was standardized and collected would be that it be shared according to rules that protected the anonymity of the patient data that might be fundamental to all these data sources and data collections and protected whatever critical interest the states felt they had in that data. Those would have to be worked out at the federal level and in collaboration with states and localities, because this is ultimately a collaborative process. But without the federal government's strong urge, strong role, this will not happen. So you say in your article that Congress has an opportunity at the moment when it reauthorizes the Pandemic and All Hazards Preparedness Act. So what does that law do, and how do you see its reauthorization as a chance to improve public health data? So this very I would say as a health policy person, even for me, somewhat obscure piece of legislation. Now, it's a very important piece of legislation. It's just not one that gets a lot of press and a lot of conversation. This creates our administration for strategic preparedness and response, which is the chief administration, part of the federal government that is responsible for biosecurity in the United States monitoring and containing epidemics and pandemics. Now, CDC is commonly known to the practicing community. When I was a practicing primary care physician, I relied on it frequently. But the CDC's role is confined to biosurveillance, data collection, and making recommendations. The Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response has a much more activist orientation. It also sits on top of the specialized research agency, BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, which has the role of creating novel vaccines and therapeutics for newly emerging infectious and pandemic and health threats. So this is a very important part of our preparedness, our national preparedness to defend ourselves against pathogens and new biological threats. This is the law that authorizes it, and it is expiring at the end of this fiscal year. That's September 30th of 2023. It maintains the strategic national stockpile. as just another of the very specific authorities contained within this law. Because it is expiring and because it is so critical, Congress must act on it. And whenever Congress must act on something, that creates the opportunity to make changes that otherwise might languish because there isn't a vehicle that has the momentum that expiring laws have in the congressional process. Finally, how much support is there for establishing a national public health reporting system and for shoring up the U.S. public health infrastructure? What political barriers would have to be overcome to implement the kinds of changes that you're talking about? Well, nothing is easy in our national government. There are very stark divides politically, and there's very stark controversy about the role of the federal government in our lives. And this extends to healthcare. That has gotten sharper through the pandemic and currently continues to be stoked in the upcoming presidential election. 
So there will be opposition on principle to expanding the role of the federal government in this, to my way of thinking, essential and obvious capacity to protect the national welfare. So I would expect conservatives and political opposition to have concerns about this idea. But the question is whether the still remaining concern about pandemics will be enough to push past that political perspective and create the momentum needed to enact this kind of legislation. It will require additional funding, which is another source of contention in the federal government. And I suspect that two of our major legislating branches, the executive branch and the Senate, may be supportive of this. I think the House of Representatives might be a much tougher vehicle to harness to this. Thank you, Dr. Blumenthal.